Expert Insights with Ladium. A hard-boiled egg and some one-minute blanched asparagus on the side can be a very simple, very well-formulated breakfast. You've got the protein there with minerals and you've got the colourful plant food. You could turn that into an omelette or a frittata muffin and you could have a a variety of um, herbs, parsley, basil, cherry tomatoes, a little bit of halloumi or cheese or even some good quality trout. Salmon for some extra protein and omega-3 in a frittata. Welcome to our podcast on eating for resilience. I'm Sharon Longridge and those great breakfast ideas were shared by Tabitha McIntosh, our guest for this conversation on boosting wellness one mouthful at a time. Tabitha is an experienced and respected naturopath, clinical nutritionist and educator. I attended one of her workshops called The Yoga of Eating several years ago, and I was struck not only by Tabitha's in-depth knowledge about the science of nutrition, but also how wise and practical she is when it comes to eating for wellness. Tabitha has a passion for integrative health. After attaining her Bachelor in Medical Science, she went on to complete an advanced diploma in naturopathy and a diploma in nutrition. She has also done postgraduate studies in applied science, in nutritional and environmental medicine. Tabitha is the founder and director of Awaken Your Health in Sydney. For over a decade now, her private clinical practice has integrated naturopathic healing principles and the latest scientific research to educate and empower her clients. Tabitha recently published her first book, co-authored by Dr. Sarah Lance, on nutritional and environmental health. It's called One Bite at a Time, Reduce Toxic Exposure and Eat the World You Want. In our conversation, we explore the link between what we eat and our overall resilience. From practical tips on drinking coffee and crafting a breakfast of champions, to protecting the trillions of microorganisms that inhabit our gut. This podcast is full of insights on sustaining your overall wellness. I see people all the time throughout the week who have lowered resistance against infection or perhaps lowered emotional resilience and they're not coping, they're feeling overwhelmed quite regularly. And how I work with them is by, you know, we have the discussion about resilience. What is it to be resilient? Because it's all very good and well to run off and go and hide in a cave and move to the country and avoid all of these, avoid this allopathic load and avoid all of these stressors. But actually, in reality, we have to we have to learn how to roll with some of these punches and, and of course, choose our battles. But really, I talk about resilience as being how well you bounce back. And besides getting really philosophical about it and talking about, you know, being adaptable and having courage to make changes and perhaps make decisions other people around you aren't making and to think critically about how you can be most savvy about your circumstances, from a nutritional perspective, what I notice is when someone's, I'll talk macro first, when someone is eating with some frequency and eating a good quality whole foods diet, but particularly they may be formulating a meal well, so there's adequate protein to anchor their blood sugar levels or their glycemic control and adequate colorful plant food on the other side of their plate and they're formulating their meal really well and they're eating with some sort of frequency around the clock. So a really nice meal formulated well will probably hold and anchor that person for four-ish hours, four or five hours. So say they were having a good breakfast at eight, that might last them till midday. A good lunch at midday might last them till a mid-afternoon snack and if they were prepared 
and they bought their own mid-afternoon snack to consume and, and they could have that, that probably gets rid of a whole lot of the afternoon slump and a whole lot of the afternoon cookie jar reaching and chocolate reaching etc and then a really well formed, you know, often they can make better decisions coming into dinner time not reaching for the the beer or wine or whatever it might be and uh, and going home to to prepare a meal so that sort of steady glycemic control i see on a macro level have a fantastic impact on bolstering someone's resilience throughout the day um, then it also comes down to nutrition so i'll speak particularly for women at the moment because women are the ones who tend to menstruate lose blood regularly and so it, it is the females usually who have significantly lower iron levels and when our iron levels ladies are really really low because of heavy periods or pregnancy breastfeeding we tend to feel like we're scraping the bottom of the tank and we tend to feel far, far more easily overwhelmed and teary and much less resilient and we cope less well with the things around us. So, um, and just, I guess, also exercise. I see people who do make a habit of exercising with some sort of frequency, um, also better at not sweating the small stuff. You have a very practical philosophy around food. Mm. Um, fads come and go, but can you talk us through, please, your 80-20 principle? The 80-20 thing for me, I often quote when I'm doing a talk, you know, 80% of the time, if we can be eating for our health and for our resilience and to maximise um, uh, helping ourselves reach our own potential, we have to allow some flexibility and we have to, you know, I love nothing more than meeting my girlfriends for a couple of glasses of wine and maybe something that I wouldn't normally eat, like uh, some pizza with them and, and having a good dance. So I, I think it's really important to know that 80% for the body, 20% for the soul, is often a recipe for very, very good health. So when we think about the, that 80% of the food that we want to eat to nourish the body, food mm. as fuel, what are the foods that you know if we eat more of, mm. we're really going to support this resilient framework? Again, I'll start from the macro and I'll talk about the minerals. So uh, a whole foods diet that has been minimally processed, so when we're eating things like, you know, um, some good quality protein foods, they might be some eggs, they might be some legumes, some uh, you know beans and chickpeas and things like that. Perhaps we're talking about sustainable fish, um, shellfish even, uh, chicken, uh, good quality lean meats, dairy, I forgot to mention, good quality fermented dairy. We are going to be getting not just protein but also some generous mineral. Okay, and the minerals are necessary as cofactors for most of our enzymes, uh, for us to be able to make our hormones, uh, to help nourish and calm our nervous system. So the protein foods are really, really wonderful, but also we're looking for minimally processed plant foods. And, and I, in my observance over a, you know, a 12 year um, you know, history with practicing, I see the people that have a very high plant food diet tend to go very well. So the system says, alkalized, uh, they're getting a, a broad, a diversity of colourful foods and this tends to maximise their resilience as well. So on the flip side of that, if mm. we want to stay on top of <laughs> life and stay buoyant, what mm. are some of the foods that you strongly recommend mm. that we really do steer clear of? Our bodies are not um, designed to deal with large amounts of sugar um, and particularly added sugar, refined foods and added sugar. So keeping away as best as you can from packaged foods. You know, I'm, I'm the first person to say never eat anything that comes from a box with claims all over it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, box cereals I'm not a fan of, fruit juices I'm not a fan of. I, I even ask clients to tread 
cautiously with things like flavoured and sweetened yogurts, dried fruits, all these sorts of things. So uh, sweet drinks, I think, can be a disaster. And especially when we're talking about developing people like our children, you know, our children do not need juice. If you're at a birthday party or something like that and you feel that a juice may be a treat for them, Sure, give them a very small proportion of juice, but really dilute it significantly with water because one of the things about sugar and in particular fructose, fructose bypasses some of the sugar regulatory processes like the insulin. Uh, it sort of skips a whole lot of uh, recognition by the body and it ends up contributing to things like fatty liver and higher triglyceride levels in the blood. And, you know, the amount of sugar that we consume these days compared to a couple of decades ago is significantly, proportionally more. And it is... There's no, no doubt in my mind that it is contributing to all of the chronic lifestyle disease. So keep your sugars down, fruit juice, packaged processed foods, and also those inflammatory fats. So I'm not a big fan of the seed oils, like the cotton seed oils and the canola oils. We really should be getting back down to our basics and back to, you know, just some good old good quality olive oil. Even some good quality butter, Organic if you can, but very, very stable for cooking. Uh, perhaps some coconut oil, unrefined coconut oil. Just really getting back to basics. You touched on the vexed area of sugar. And mm. I think many of us, we have a sweet tooth. And particularly you mentioned mm. that, that afternoon slump. Mm. Is sugar really the enemy? There's a very strong quit sugar movement that's taken yes. a hold. And I'm really keen to hear your view. What's, what's your lens on the problems of sugar? Well, we see in public health, we see significantly more dental decay in our paediatric community, in our kids and adults as well. We're seeing childhood obesity, we're seeing uh, lots of metabolic disease, which is when there's a complex of disorders, so high blood pressure, high triglycerides and high blood lipids, cholesterol. Uh, plus this visceral obesity, so that real apple shape where you've got the lean limbs and the girth is the thing that tends to grow. Uh, and the problem with that is some of the fat that is um, deposited is actually on the organs and really impacts our metabolic health. So sugar, um, sugar is not the demon per se, added sugar is a very, very big deal. I do not ask of my clients that they give up fruit absolutely get rid of fruit juices and, and we don't need dried fruit really. Uh, you know some people can sit down and eat six or seven dried apricots or dates at once. We would never sit down and eat six or seven fresh real apricots at once. So added sugars in things like sweetened yogurts and breakfast cereals and then also our juice and our dried fruit absolutely keep out. But when it comes to just good old fruit there's nothing wrong with having a couple of pieces, you know, one to two serves of fruit a day. Um, I, I back the NHMRC's recommendation on having one to two serves of fruit a day, providing we're eating at least double of that of our vegetables. Really, you know, to be like a seesaw, two serves of fruit, five to seven serves of vegetables a day is how we can work towards getting it right. Can we look at the impact of stress mm. on our digestive system? Yeah. It's said that we have a so-called second brain in our mm. stomach and people would perhaps recognise this when they get that butterflies feeling yes. or what I call the nervous poo. Yes. Just to decode that for us, yeah. what does stress do in terms of our ability to digest life? So I guess it's a two-tiered answer and I'm going to start with the autonomic nervous system. So when we're really sympathetically driven and we're really in that fight or flight mode and our adrenaline is pumping and our cortisol, our stress hormones elevated, and that can be elevated not just because of emotional stress, 
you know, deadlines, arguments, traffic, etc. But also from environmental stress and not enough sleep and too much caffeine and skipping meals, all of these things will tip our nervous system to be um, sympathetic dominant. When we're in that state, you know, we're designed to be in that state for short periods of time because it can get us out of danger because it shunts our circulation towards our brain. So we're thinking really acutely and also towards our major muscle groups so we can escape whatever is putting us in danger. But in doing so, it takes our circulation away from our digestive tract and incidentally away from our reproductive organs and away from our immune system. So it's when we, we've all experienced this, when we're most stressed, we are least resistant to infection. You know, pushing too hard at work, we often end up with the flu, etc. So in doing so, things like our stomach acid can dip down and we can uh, have a poorer time at chemically digesting our food. And uh, also gut motility can change very significantly. And we're all very unique as to how we interact with our diet and lifestyle and environment and stressors. Some people, when they're very stressed, will lose their appetite and uh, you know there may be some constipation. Other people's appetite, you know, in response to stress, will increase, and there'll be this stress-induced eating, and uh, the bowel can the bowel function can muck up with lots of looseness and urgency and things like that. But I guess the second tier as to how stress and also our environment can impact our digestion and our gut health is due to its impacts on our microbiome. So we all walk around with you know somewhere between a kilo and two kilos of live bacteria that, it, that inhabit our gastrointestinal system, particularly our small intestine and our large intestine, our large bowel, the colon. And these work very synergistically with us as humans. In fact, sort of, the, you know, they're not our pets. We're almost their pet because the DNA of the bugs in our gut is, you know, tenfold higher than the DNA that we carry in terms of load. So um, we are their pet and we need to work on nourishing this microbiome. It's such a determinant for our long-term health and uh, stress can have quite a deleterious, particularly chronic stress that is unresolved, can have quite a deleterious effect on our microbiome and also our gut function. So can you elaborate on that please? Mm. Uh, the microbiome has got a lot of attention recently mm. and the medical community has mm. really now recognised the fact mm. that the health of the and the diversity of the biome is mm. critical to good health outcomes mm. and a compromised biome can mm. really be a key contributor to many conditions, mm. um, psychological and physiological conditions. Absolutely. So how do we preserve, protect, support a healthy biome? There is a need to avoid things that we know compromise the microbiome so we you know this is very obvious obviously but uh, lots and lots of uh, courses of antibiotics for for infections whether it be sinus infections or urinary tract infections or respiratory infections um, lots and lots of antibiotics can have you know the antibiotics are often broad spectrum so they might be t they might be helping us with an infection and certainly can be life-saving but they're not going to be without their downstream effects on compromising the microbiomes amount and also its diversity and, and there are some heavier antibiotic uh, classes of medication that can impact the microbiome so significantly that some of those um, species will never ever recover and others may take six months, 12 months to recover. So just popping a couple of probiotics after a course of antibiotics probably isn't quite adequate to correct some of the collateral damage. We need to be working on rebuilding the microbiome for several months after it's had an assault. Um, stress, a very processed diet, you know, huge volumes of um, swallowing uh, pool water if you've got the kids swimming in a chlorinated pool and then 
it's a contentious topic, but looking at, you know, two litres, three litres of Australian tap water with all of the disinfectant byproduct over a lifetime can also have an impact on the microbiome. So we want to keep, you know, you look, again, it's a really big topic, but a huge amount of um, caesarean uh, delivery births can also have an impact on, you know, it can be a tipping point for that infant's microbiome moving forward. and, and that baby achieving uh, lots of breast milk can also help to nourish and establish that microbiome for that infant. So we avoid the things that compromise the microbiome and we work on nourishing that microbiome. So, you know, when I look at all of the different diets around the world and the diets that have uh, been studied in particular, the ones that seem to come out on top are the ones, whether that be the Mediterranean diet, for example, they're the ones that have a very high plant food intake and when we are having a diversity of our plant foods you know I talk with my child and adult and especially husband clients <laughs> about eating the rainbow every day if you can make sure that yourself and the family are eating something from the plant world red green purple you know pink white orange tan you know every day and you're getting this diversity or this rainbow of different colorful plant foods you that diversity of phytochemicals or plant-based ingredients and antioxidants are going to work very well on nourishing the microbiome so even things like cinnamon and turmeric and paprika as our spices and uh, some of the grains legumes uh, it's you know we can even look towards some of the traditional diets to get fabulous ideas because the, this standard Australian diet, which I, I use an acronym, SAD, <laughs> you know, standard Australian diet, it is actually quite sad, this Western style diet, it is compromising the microbiome. It's when we go back to basics and have a whole foods diet and we're achieving that diversity of colours that we're going to win with the microbiome. So let's turn mm. our attention to this initial meal of the day. Some sure. people consider it the most important meal of the day. What's your advice on mm. some breakfast of champions that really... Yes set us up for a, for a strong day? Yeah, well, I just want to acknowledge that some people don't have an enormous appetite when they wake, and that's okay. But I, you know, I, I appreciate this concept of fasting overnight. So I try to make a habit with myself and most of my clients that nothing really goes in the mouth after about 7 or 8 p.m., maybe a herbal tea or two. And then you know, snacking late at night before bed and I'm comfortable with people waiting till seven or eight for their breakfast and perhaps hydrating themselves well with some water or a warm lemon water or some apple cider vinegar in water before that first meal. But to anchor yourself, just know that when you wake up, your blood sugars will be low and they will keep going low unless you have a coffee, in which case they'll spike to the ceiling and crash down soon after. So just anchoring yourself with a small breakfast, you know, for the people that do eat eggs, you know, a hard boiled egg and some, uh, you know, one minute blanched asparagus on the side can be a very simple, very well formulated breakfast. You've got the protein there with minerals and you've got the colourful plant food. You could turn that into an omelette or a frittata muffin and you could have a, a variety of um, herbs, parsley, basil, cherry tomatoes, a little bit of uh, halloumi or cheese or even some good quality trout salmon for some extra protein and omega-3 in a frittata. Um, for people needing something more similar, I talk about, uh, I call it breakfast in a jar. So I've got a little recipe that has a tablespoon of oats, a tablespoon of linseeds, which are very cost effective, and a tablespoon of chia seeds. For extra antioxidant, a little bit of cinnamon, 
and I actually cover those dry things in a glass jar with boiling water the night before, maybe even some natural vanilla extract. And when I come back the next morning to, to get that ready to fly out the door, that's tripled in size because the seeds and the oats have absorbed all of the water. I might add a dollop of coconut yogurt or yogurt and a sprinkle of fruit and I'm out the door and I've got something to have before I choose to get my first coffee. Breakfasts on a budget, for those that can tolerate them, sardines on wholemeal toast, maybe with a little bit of avocado or even just avocado. Salt and pepper is a great way to start the day. Um, baked beans might take everyone back to their college days, but some, you know, some health food store baked beans, they are legumes. They've got very generous fiber in them that slow the stomach from emptying. So you feel satisfied with those for quite a while. Um, and uh, they're, they're obviously gonna keep you full for quite a while as well. And uh, smoothies, there's a great, you know, there's a, I'm not big into fruits, but when you are including the fiber, you know, say you've got a smoothie happening and you've got a frozen banana, I like to sneak a cup of baby spinach into a smoothie as well, some chia seeds, maybe some cinnamon again, but a smoothie can be an easy way to start the day too. Can we just briefly turn our attention to coffee? Sure. Coffee's yeah. a very, very beloved beverage sure, for you many, are. many, many people. Yeah. What's, again, what's your practical mm. lens on coffee consumption? Well, I'm a coffee lover, you know, so uh, I, I, it's not about being a purist. I, I consider coffee and the caffeine within it to be a recreational drug, so you just have to know how to use it, really. And uh, the things when it comes to coffee that I will mention are that, again, we're all very unique. So uh, there are actually tests that we, I can perform with certain clients if they ask, but some of us metabolise caffeine very well. And we've all met someone on the flip side that actually gets anxious and shaky even to a cup of green tea or a sip of green tea. So again, we all break caffeine down differently. Um, coffee has a number of antioxidants in it. It also contains caffeine and it is a, a performance enhancer. And so there are some other stimulatory properties and, and ingredients that caffeine has. So where I have a, I think it comes down to quality of the coffee that you're buying and it also comes down to volume. So I do have a problem uh, with people waking and having a coffee on an empty stomach because a coffee on an empty stomach when we've just woken, you know, really we need to break the fast with a meal, breakfast. Um, coffee on an empty stomach can give our blood sugar levels an enormous spike and what comes up must come down. So we get this crash and I see people have significant slumps during the mid-morning or the early afternoon when they've started their day with a strong coffee with sugar because of this impact on their glycemic control for the rest of the day. And sometimes they've had such a big crash that nothing will get them back up except another coffee. And um, the other thing I wanted to say about caffeine in the system is that it has a half-life of six to eight hours. So uh, perhaps one coffee a day after our breakfast in the morning can be well tolerated and can support us with our focus and stamina throughout the day at work. But to back that up with another coffee after lunch, come you know two o'clock or something like that, there's no doubt about it, you will be absolutely trying to metabolize that caffeine out of your system at 10 o'clock at night when you're trying to wind down and get into bed. And I see all too many times in the clinic here this roller coaster of people having a double coffee or a couple of coffees throughout the day and then needing to wind themselves down with an alcoholic beverage or a glass of wine in the evening and <clears throat> that that sort of rhythm or roller coaster every day can take us off balance when it comes to our sleep quality and our resilience and our um, our appetite and you know even even we can feel more irritable Another successful day. You've conquered many milestones, yet one tough moment is dragging you down. <laughs> 
Tame Your Runaway Brain. Drawing on neuroscience, Boost Your Brain and Wellness is a micro-training program that strengthens your composure, confidence and performance. Refine your mind in less than 10 minutes a day at ledium.com.au.